Hello and welcome to this special bonus episode of Millions of Screens. What follows is our complete interview with Rob McElhenney, the star and co-creator of Mythic Quest, on comedy versus drama, his unique relationship with fellow showrunner Megan Gans, and the feedback he'd gotten from the writers' rooms of both Breaking Bad and Mad Men during its Always Sunny in Philadelphia's still ongoing run. Also, Rob turns the tables on Ben and Libby to ask about their dissenting opinions on Backstory, the standalone episode from Mythic Quest's second season. It's also worth noting that this entire interview came about after Libby tweeted about Rob's appearance on Seth Meyers a couple of weeks ago, which you'll hear us talking about in the intro. And now, without further ado, our interview with Rob McElhenney. It is a millions and millions of little screens. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. But yeah, I think this all sort of stemmed from Libby's tweets. I think we, we kind of maybe wanted to start there. And just sort of have start the com- the conversation about comedy versus drama, and then sort of work our way through Mythic Quest season two, and sort of any other questions that Ben and Libby or I might might throw out there to you. Sure. Well, I can. Well, actually, let me pull up Libby's. Let me pull up. Oh, Libby's. I don't good. Have this is exactly how I thought <laughs> this would go. Oh, okay. Here we go. I got it. I got Damn it. it. Okay, I got it. All right. Okay. So, um, because I'm such a big fan of um, IndieWire and a big fan of Libby, I follow Libby on social media and so i woke i woke up one morning (laughs) i woke up one morning and saw this this is posted at 11 42 p.m to preserve my enjoyment of mq i should probably ingest (laughs) i should probably stop ingesting interviews with rob McElhenney. and i was like oh this is cool and oh it's a thread oh okay let me (laughs) let me dig into the thread she goes on to explain I'm watching an interview he did with Seth Meyers. He's complaining about MQ season two's 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes because the critics, she now capitalizes this, like the show wrong, she continues. They talk about the human elements too much and don't talk about the comedy, which she says is harder, question mark. But Jesus Christ, dude, people talk about the drama because they assume at a base level, it will be funny. Like that's bare minimum. She continues, imagine Jesse Armstrong getting in a snip because people appreciate the ball play hilarity in succession. She continues, and don't get me started on him saying that comedy is harder than creating realistic characters and relationships. Capitalize. If people knew how to do the latter, TV and movies would be better. She continues, I should not get this riled before bed. That's actually some good points. Uh, she, well, not, all, not only are they great points, um, I was laughing through the whole thing because as I said um, in our follow-up conversation, Libby, like seriously, no one is sicker of hearing my voice and seeing me push this television show than I am right now. Um, so I can definitely empathize with where you were at 1145 at night, that it's night. It's not even that late. Or... Well, it's, 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 late, eno- it's late enough to get that upset before you <sighs> go to bed. We were prepping but, uh, to talk to Seth the next day, which is I how was, this all happened. I wanted to reach, so so I reached out to Olivia and to say, first of all, I thought that was great, and she's dead right. It's so annoying to have somebody on a talk show complaining about a hundred percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes. I think what what I was just trying to, I guess, uh, exp- I, explain my, from my point of view, uh, what we were trying to do is like you know those talk shows are comedy beats and so you're trying to come up with like fun sketches that you can that you can talk about and I thought well it might be fun if I start with the punchline and the punchline would be like nobody respects Seth Meyers and he gets it which is obviously opposite of the truth but it's always fun to give the, the host a little shit and then if we walk backwards from that 
um, then I can maybe suggest that he knows what it feels like to be disrespected simply because you make comedy and that we are sort of looked as a second tier form of entertainment, that it's, it's easy to do comedy and really where the, where the most important stuff uh, is done is, is in drama. And then from there, we were doing some tongue, tongue in cheek stuff. So, but nevertheless, it was irritating. And I'm sure, um, I'm sure you weren't the only one that was irritated. But like, but like all comedy, there's, there's this huge nugget of truth in, in that whole sketch, which is comedy is universally under appreciated by the industry writ large. Go let me. Yeah. The most embarrassing thing about all of this is that Rob and I like totally agree. Um, which is horrifying if you think about it. And 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 kind of encapsulates the internet in a in a nutshell. But he's totally right. Um and I will go further and say I am bad at comedy. Like I'm bad at jokes. Like I am not good without a studio audience that are reacting to things. And honestly, I couldn't tell if Seth was in on it. He seemed very thrown by it. Like you deliver straight face so well. You play drama so well, Rob. <laughs> and you. it's what made me realize uh, you were an actor. Um, but beyond that, <laughs> no, so, so that's the thing. And like Ben and Leo watched the same interview and they're like, oh yeah, this is funny. I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> fucking hate you guys. So yes, but silver lining we all love the show. Silver lining, I I think you're great and and a huge talent comedically and otherwise. And now we get to talk about it. So we're we're gonna put out more content where people have to hear my voice push the show. Right. But you know what? Right. I'm sick of myself, but I'm definitely not sick of talking about Mythic Quest. Well, I w- I would just speaking of talking about other, about other people, I'd love to talk about uh, Megan Gann's directorial uh, episode, episode five. Um, just because I feel like for a bottle episode like that, like it proves how amazing uh, the show has gotten over the course of, at that point, one and a half seasons, uh, plus those, the two bonus episodes. But essentially that like, we want to spend that hour just chilling in this room with, with this cast of characters. I guess like, what was that process like for that episode from, from the jump? And then, you know, Megan taking the, taking the reins. Yeah. Well, one thing we've, we've found with Sonny um, is that you you never know what people are going to respond to. So you, you can never, I think it's always dangerous to sit in a writer's room and think, well, what will the audience like? Um, not because we're not trying to make people happy or make people laugh or please people. Of course we want people to, to like our stuff, but if you're chasing down someone else's expectation, you're just, you're just going to fail every time. Um, especially since you have millions and millions of people who are watching. And for each person, they like different aspects of the show if they're watching the show at all. Um, however, if you are watching Sunny, for example, what we found was um, what become uh, oftentimes people's uh, audience's favorite episodes are very simple episodes where we're just sitting in the bar talking. We have a, a bottle episode where we never leave an environment for, for various reasons. And, and what we found is because over the years, you develop a relationship with those characters. And sometimes just seeing them all together in one space, interacting with one another becomes really fun. And yet generally you have to earn that over the course of, especially with a show like Sunny, which is, um, which is I think an acquired taste. And I think right off the bat, I think is difficult for people to, to get into. I think it takes some time 
um, to 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 develop a taste for Sunny. At least that's my my experience. Whereas with Mythic Quest, I think um, yes, of course, you want to get to know the characters. It takes a little time to understand, you know, what the dynamics are and who these people are and how they relate to one another and 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 what the setting is. Um, nevertheless, it I think we felt like by episode whatever that is, 12 or 14, 15, that we had earned uh, the earned the the episode where we're locked in and all speaking directly to one another. Very rarely are all the characters uh, in one scene at one time. I think it's only, we've only done it one other time. And so it's a challenge because you can't leave the confines of that room. But if you've set up the right character dynamics, it's really, really fun both to, both to break, to write, to shoot and to edit. Well, can you talk a little bit just just on my end again, like speaking to the to the joy as a viewer of those bottle episodes? So much of it does come from just seeing everybody in the room and kind of the quick back and forth that they have with each other and those kind of you know uh, just just almost tactile dynamics that are created. How much of it is done in breaking the episode in the writers' room, like of of trying to you know work out that level of communication and uh, you know, how people are gonna interact as well as the timing of, of the lines and the jokes and, and everything uh, versus you know, when you get to set and you get to you know, have the people in the room already, when you get to do the thing that the episode's about and built around, um, how does that kind of break down? Well, one thing that I've always been a big advocate of um, and, and that's just because the only other writer's room I'd ever been in was Sunny, um, is having performer writers in in the in the writers room and so just in our own writers room this season we've got um we've got myself uh david hornsby who plays david brittlesby ashley birch uh humphrey carr who plays tall paul and then um on top of that we i like to invite the actors in so we had a number of the actors that would come in two three times a week jesse was in there quite a bit um imani came in quite a bit charlotte would come in from time to time um, and so that really gives us an advantage because we can we can be there in the room acting things out and pitching things and talking about it and pitching jokes, but also seeing the chemistry and how the dynamics play out. We also have the benefit of, of having shot an entire first season so we can see um, the chemistry with, uh, already uh, that had already um, flourished and then been fostered through uh, the back half of season one and then and then even the first half of, of season two. So we had a good sense of how things would play, but then you want to allow for on the day uh, adjustments and things to, things to change. But generally, when you get that far down the road, yes, you, you can play with dialogue, but you don't want to change intention because if you start changing intention in the middle of a scene, all of a sudden that affects, that has a domino effect down the rest of the narrative and all of a sudden things start falling apart. So, you know, when people say, oh, well, do you, do you guys improvise? Um, the truth is, yes, we do to, a, to an extent. We'll improvise lines of dialogue, but we'll never improvise intent because that changes the narrative. I, I mean, you were talking a little bit about, uh, you know, when people watch a show, they all have different favorite things. I'd have to say that one of my favorite things is the relationship between Ian and Poppy. Um, especially how it seems to expand and contract and uh, it's a little bit volatile. Uh, what, uh, how has that been um, with you and Charlotte sort of growing that relationship? How has it changed and 
has it ended up somewhere you weren't expecting it to when you started in season one? Yes. Well, first of all, right off the bat, um, Charlotte was not cast originally as Poppy. Um, she, yeah, she, she was cast as, as another character. And we were looking for Poppy. Poppy was significantly older, um, more of a peer of Ian's, more of a peer of Ian's, and they had been working together for a very long time. The script was, the first episode was, was dramatically different, um, to be honest with you, than what we wound up shoot, uh, what, what we wound up airing. Um, but every time we would, we would, we read many, 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 many actresses for for Poppy, and a lot of them were fantastic, but something just wasn't quite clicking, and. And I just had this feeling, I was like, I, having read with Charlotte a few times for Dana, uh, which was the original character that she, that she was playing well before we met Amani, um, I'm like, I feel like there's an interesting dynamic between the two of us, but I would change the character a little bit. But I felt like there was chemistry and, and I felt like I, I knew that when you find someone that you have chemistry with, or, or you find two actors that have chemistry with each other, um, then you kind of throw out your preconceived notions of what the character should be or what the script is, because you never wanna force an actor to adapt to a character because that strips the humanity away from it. It's gotta be the opposite. You have to, you have to make the character adapt to the actor. And that's what we did. So we, uh, we completely rewrote that whole first episode, um, and, and and it was based. It was basically based on the fact that Charlotte and I had this really interesting dynamic. Um, and then there was, and, and that was what that was on screen with dialogue. But behind the scenes, it's also a part of the the developing relationship between Megan and Megan Gans and I, who have been working together now for a number of years. But we have a very specific relationship, and it's not the same as Ian and Poppy. However. It is a very, um, it's a very intense and very, very close um, relationship, and and it's very, um, it's based in obviously a, a working respect for each other, a very deep friendship, um, but and 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 recognizing that we are work colleagues, but we're also really great friends. Our families are very close to one another. Her husband is a very close friend of mine. She's a very close friend of Caitlin's. Um, we just, it's a very specific dynamic. And I don't know that I've ever had that, um, that, that kind of dynamic with, um, with a woman before in, in a work environment, a non-romantic um, relationship that is still um, that close. And of course, I have friends like that, but but very rarely do you find yourself at work having relationships like that. And so we thought, well, it's a very healthy relationship, and um, it's interesting when I present it to, to other people because they realize that they don't have those kinds of similar relationships, or or maybe they have one in their life. And we thought, well, that's pretty unique. Like maybe we can we can mine from that and tell the story of these two people that have a very specific relationship that maybe you haven't seen before or don't see very often. I thought a lot about this, uh, probably more than I should. Uh, and I've, I've really felt like it's, it would be a very difficult thing to mine that relationship into a 
fictional form, like to try to have those conversations with somebody about what makes your relationship so unique and what makes it tick and what makes it work. And then like mapping that onto characters who are trying to do the same thing without, you know, creating a lot of friction in real life without creating like, you know, like saying something about how, well, I really think that you, you do this and that's a strange thing. And then the defensive nature comes up. How did you kind of break through those walls? And then what are those conversations like as you continue to try to map the characters forward? Like, are they still staying fairly close to some of the dynamics that you share? Or are they now becoming kind of their own people? Yeah, it's 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 very much like the way that we approach you approach any character. So so any any character I've ever played has aspects of who I am, but they're not me, right? Like even the character on Sunny, who is an abhorrent, narcissistic, sociopathic you know, cartoon character. The reason that it still resonates as as funny to us is that there are aspects of that character that unfortunately are part of my condition or part of, of, of who I am. And I, it's hard to point to an actor and not see, because this is the body that I'm working with. So there's a certain uh, amount of, of the way I express myself that, that it are, would be extreme versions of say, the best and worst versions of, of uh, or the extreme versions of the best and worst aspects of my personality. And I think all writers are like that too, that where every character you write is still no matter how much you try to get into somebody else's point of view or somebody else's uh, voice, it's still an expression of yourself. And so I think it's the same, it's, we approach it the same way, which is that Ian is not me, but sort of the things that I abhor about myself um, or aspects of myself or the, or the darker parts of my personality, I like to exploit in that character just because I think it's interesting to mine for comedy and for um, interest, personal introspection and growth and progression for myself. But also I just think it's an interesting character and he has an inter interesting char character traits. Same thing with, with Poppy. Um, Poppy is not Meg and Poppy is not Charlotte. And Poppy is a, is a character that doesn't really exist but is an amalgam of so many different aspects of all three people, myself, Meg, Charlotte, and then also all of the other writers in the room and the directors and we're creating this sort of all together so even though it feels as though it might cross into difficult conversation and of course it does writers room sometimes can become difficult um we have a certain level of intimacy uh meg and i and and a free form of communication that we can navigate that um pretty pretty well and i think from a pretty healthy perspective unlike poppy and i am well I, I i love the idea of like putting a character on as like a light coat as opposed to like creating something whole cloth um but i, I did want before we got too far afield uh from libby's tweets um <laughs> there, there is I, I do think that like i said there is a, a huge nugget of truth in what you were saying on the show which is that uh, for whatever reasons, comedy doesn't get the respect it probably deserves on the whole. Um, and not to say that what, I mean, I, I'll, I'm on, I think we're all sort of in agreement. I think comedy is much more difficult than, than I think drama is. I think when I worked, and this is a very specific example, but when I worked at The Onion and we were bought by a major news organization and they saw how much some things cost, they're like, why can't you just make it the way that we make X? And it's like, because 
a you're you're not world building and 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 b it's just like it takes time it, you need to write you need to hone you need to, you need to shoot it and do multiple takes of a thing it's not just like throw into a dude in the studio to be like here's the sound bite and then you can roll to throw to b-roll and and the idea is like and granted that's news versus comedy as opposed to drama versus comedy but but the general idea sort of holds that comedy takes maybe a little bit extra work that people for whatever reason do not give it credit for and i was wondering if obviously you have thoughts on this but like where where this is coming from or where you're seeing it most yeah i mean i don't want to suggest that making drama is easy um, because it certainly isn't. Not, none of this is easy, um, especially to make it well. Um, so it, it's, it's hard for me to sit here and say, well, making comedy is harder than it is to make drama. I, I, I would just say that, that comedy is just much more specific. So there is not a, a, a global agreed upon set of precepts that like everybody can recognize that we all share as far as comedy goes, because oftentimes comedy doesn't necessarily transcend culture. In fact, it's oftentimes specific to culture. So, so right off the bat, it becomes a little bit more niche. What makes you laugh isn't necessarily what makes somebody else laugh versus what makes somebody else laugh. Um, whereas if you want to make somebody cry, you know, if you kick a dog on screen, people are going to have a visceral reaction all over the world, all over the world. Uh, and yet, and, and it's going to horrify people, right? So that we share um, it, from, a, from a pathos perspective, you know, falling in love, being in love, losing someone you love. Um, those are all things we share. So though, in terms of like, when you go to the narrative well to figure out how I'm gonna tell my story, you know, well, if we need the, the, the audience to feel a certain way about this, we know we can go to that well. Unfortunately, with comedy, we just don't have as deep of a well. We don't have all of those things that we share. So all, already, it just becomes a little bit more niche. And then on top of that, we still have the same challenges of breaking a compelling narrative, something that somebody wants to sit through for 30 minutes. But on top of that, we also have to figure out how to make it funny. Now, I'm not asking for people to feel sorry for people in comedy or to play a, a, the tiniest violin. Uh, or to well, suggest we, we already feel sorry for people who work in comedy. Don't worry about that <laughs> yeah. part. Okay, like, great. That's just built in. But great. Sorry. Well, yes, but that's because most that, that's mo I would assume mostly because you feel compassion for the pain that they feel that was inflicted upon them in earlier in their life, which dro drove them into comedy. Oh, which yeah, I see. Sure, see, I see all the. I see all all the time, um, but what I would say is, I would say that. I'm not. I'm not suggesting that that anybody that works in the in the field of comedy deserves any more credit than um, or respect than, than those in drama. I just, I just, it it pains me when I see, read, feel, hear that there's that somehow drama is considered more important. Um, that it, it's almost like people want to. They'd rather feel. They'd rather feel. Um, they'd rather feel sad and depressed sometimes or, or horrified or, or, or devastated or elated because of love um, than, than to laugh. And I just don't see that in everyday life. I feel, it feels to me like most people, like when, they're, when they go home and they're happy, they're laughing. And they, if, they've, if they've enjoyed the day, if they're in, at a work meeting or if they're in their car or they're with their friends, when you're, when you're sitting around with your friends and you're 
having drinks, you know, if everybody's crying, you're probably not having the best time. But if everybody's laughing, it seems like you're having a pretty good, a pretty good time. And so shouldn't that be, shouldn't that be held in the same esteem as something dramatic? And you, and when the, whenever I hear people say like, no, I think it is, all you have to do is look around and see what, what, what the best picture, you know, nominations are every year, or even just the best drama in the Emmys or what have you is always, is always considered the big award. You know, the comedy is like, eh, that's just what the clowns do. And so look, do I really, do I lose sleep over this? No, of course not. Libby does, because she she was up until midnight tweeting about it. But <laughs> that's early. That's early for Libby. She's not a morning person. She's a night owl. That's fine. Uh, but no, but when I get a chance every once in a while, especially on a comedy show with Seth, there are other people who I think feel it too. Um, I think it's just always fun to 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 bring to bring up. No, it it absolutely is. And this is a thing that Ben and I have talked about over and over and Rob I mentioned this to you when we spoke uh you know I asked Ben a few months ago like how do you fix comedy or how do you fix what is happening in in something like the TV Academy where uh, sometimes comedies aren't funny and sometimes comedies aren't trying to be funny and while I think it's impossible to like legislate that it doesn't seem like an even playing field. And I have to say, if it does, it, if it does you any personal, uh, Jesus Christ words, please cut all <laughs> of this out. Um, if it helps at all, I watched maybe one drama during the pandemic and everything else was comedy because I needed comedy to get me through the day and including Mythic Quest like six times. Um, but I think people have trouble respecting that because it's their best friend. Um, it is that person that they wanna hang out with, the person that you wanna spend time with. They feel, because it's hard to watch drama, they think it's like homework, that they have accomplished something when you watch The Wire again. Congratulations, Leo. Um, but with when I go back and watch 30 rocks 16 times, I, it soothes me. And, and, um, sometimes I think that's more valuable. It's not fair, but, uh, I know it means more to me. I think that's interesting. Like the, the idea, I've never thought about it like that, where the, it, it's, it's the mystique that's associated with, with this thing that's, dramatic mysterious maybe it's something i'm trying to figure out either way it's dark it feels like a little bit more work as opposed to which which of course when you have something like that a relationship with a person or or, or a book or a movie or anything like that in your life a song that it that feels a little bit uh, less tangible and maybe le less easy to sort of understand and less comfortable which maybe maybe in some way you conflate that with it being like more important. Whereas your best friends who you take for granted, uh, the people who are the, the ones who are closest in your life, who you know the most, who you are actually, actually the most intimate with and have the most respect for and love the most, um, you don't necessarily have that relationship as it pertains to like mystique. And so if it's not being held at arm's length, it doesn't feel as something 
I don't know, something that feels as important to you. I would also say that the best comedies are about relationships with people that you recognize yourself in or your friends in, and they are people you want to come back a time and a time again to hang out with. So, you know, they're your crew. Um, if I'm watching Breaking Bad, I'm never going to be a science teacher who gets into being a drug lord. And if I watch Mad Men, it's not very likely that I'm going to go back to the 60s and uh, exper- experience uh, extreme and, 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 and horrible sexism. But, um, but, you know, those are, those are fantasy and, and, and comedy mm-hmm. is real. And it's and- interesting that you brought up those two shows because Vince at different part points of those that, that show's run and Sonny's run I got a call I got a call from Vince I got a call from Matt Weiner and and a, a, amongst a few other shows and they'd say you know when we're when, we're, when the writers are all sitting around and we're talking about breaking stories what winds up happening is eventually we start talking about Sonny and I said really why and they said I don't know we just have a few writers on the show and they've evangelized everybody and people are now like watching it and talking which of course makes us feel fantastic because we're getting the respect of our peers and we love those shows as well right we love to hear that vince gilligan and the people that wrote breaking bad or matt weiner and the people that wrote mad men you know love sunny because we hold them in such high esteem and then they're saying the same thing to us the difference is that the industry does not feel the same way now again it's going to sound like i'm 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 complaining and i'm 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 really not i'm actually just more interested in it. I think it's just kind of fascinating. And look, at the end of the day, I'm certainly not going to be the one that's going to sit here and be and, and start talking about, well, what is comedy and how do you define comedy? And like, at the end of the day, our shit is our shit. Our shows are our shows and people want to make whatever they want to make. And the only reason that I think that the conversation is important is because you of all people know um, that these awards really do matter and having these conversations really do matter. And Barry Jenkins was just talking about this. And he was talking about how like, you know, are millions of people going to see Moonlight if it doesn't get nominated and eventually win Best Picture? No, no. There's a reason why people went out and sought that movie and you see the giant spikes when these conversations start talking about what's going to be awarded. Is it ego stroking? Of course. Is it slapping ourselves on the back? Of course. Is the pageantry of it all absolutely ridiculous? Yes, and we can all recognize that. But at its core, it, it really is valuable to talk about what we value culturally, what we all consider um, collectively as art and the things that we um, celebrate and the things that we agree on are good and progressing us forward, uh, progressing our industry forward, progressing our culture forward, pre- 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 progressing the, the art form forward. And so when you get left out of those kinds of conversations, it really, uh, it really harms a lot of shows that should be watched. And that's unfortunate because we're talking about all these other shows and, and these other shows um, that, are, that are just as valuable um, aren't being talked about because um, the, the, uh, the criteria through by which we're quote unquote judging them uh, seems to be deviating further away from what the original intention of what a comedy was. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. Go make your show, go be whatever you want. But at the very least, if you, if you are in the business of categorizing or delineating what is what, there should still be some 
like modicum of of agreement that if that intent matters that if you are not intending to be funny that's totally fine you're making a drama right and so when you start having these conversations of what are the best comedies this year um, again not to take away from any show that's not trying to be funny but that's okay you've made a drama and so let's put you into that category for the sake of this conversation again if you're having if you if you're having conversations about categories which that's what we're doing right now oh we are always yes. i mean uh let me say this i love television I wouldn't have taken this job as TV awards editor if it was just glitz and glamour and getting to glad hand with celebrities. I do it because I need people to see the best shows on television and they aren't. This is my opportunity to say, you have got to drop everything and watch uh, Pen15. You have to drop everything and watch Mythic Quest. You have to drop everything and watch P Valley. Um, not that anyone listens because uh, my Twitter feed is awful. Uh, so many rants, but it, awards do matter. And when we pretend like they don't, or we pretend that they're happening in a vacuum, it does everyone a disservice. That's my rant, rant over. five. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I do think that like in terms of the conversation and what we're like actually talking about when we talk about these shows, that is part of the issue. Like not to bring it all back to the, to the Seth Meyers interview, but the part when you talked about how critics were reviewing the show and so many of the reviews weren't necessarily about it being a comedy or weren't necessarily about it being funny. You know, it's something that I thought about and I think about a lot when I write about comedies because it is very hard to write about comedy strictly from saying, well, this is funny. Like there's only so many ways to say over and over again, this is really funny uh, to the point where like Leo and I have, have talked about a video series where I'm literally explaining jokes to people where I'm like, I love this joke so much that I want to make a video showing how they did it because it's so amazing that they were able to pull this off. But we, so then when, when the conversation, you know, when you want to emphasize this show is great, or you want to emphasize, you need to watch this, you start looking for other things to talk about. You start looking for other elements of the show where you're like, well, not only is it funny, but it's also important. Like there's also something significant here and that's where the valuation tends to get skewed. So uh, I think when we do talk about comedies, it's important to, you know, try to respect what they're trying to do. And when, we, when we're talking about all things, it's important to respect what they're actually going after and then talk about whether or not they succeed about, you know, hitting those goals. Um, and for me, if you can just give some tips about talking about comedy, that would be great. Thanks. Well, well what jokes are funny? <laughs> well, like to 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 uh, in, in Libby's rant there, um, one of the things that did actually like truly resonate with me was then she when she said, "Look, dude, comedy like it being funny is like base level. So like, yeah, we're assuming that your comedy is going to be funny, dude. <laughs> so now, what are we going to judge it on afterwards? And I think that's totally valid. But that is from your perspective, and you actually do feel that way." I don't think that the vast majority of people do do think that way. I think that they're looking at something and saying, well, no, I'm connecting with this on a very human level and on a, on a very dramatic level. Again, I have to keep stressing and I have to continue to keep putting these caveats in that, that that's fantastic. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. My favorite, if I'm being honest, my favorite shows are drama. I always thought that was because I work in comedy all day long and I'm just like bored of it and I'm sick of it when I go home. There are a lot of comedies I love, but like the dramatic 
uh, shows are the ones that I sort of gravitate towards to it at, at, at night. So I'm certainly by no means like slagging off drama, but, but if we're talking about, if we're talking about what people are like expecting first in their comedy, when they're talking about it as being high art, I don't think the intent of making somebody laugh actually is a base level. Which is bullshit. It's wild. Why yeah. people look, uh, we talk often about, um, how everyone is wrong except us and doesn't know how to do things. I mean, I feel like it's one of our main topics of conversation. Leo, I, I will you, say you know you're, you're in good company, Rob, because I think I, I remember uh, I was at an interview for uh, Taika Waititi last year when he was uh, on, on a tour and he was just, he said something along the lines about comedy and drama. And he's like, he essentially said, you know, comedy is easier in, in its uh, execution or, or is harder in execution because to do good drama is like, I just have to create a base level of like, this is a realistic re relationship. You believe, you believe what is happening is, is happening. Comedy is doing that and then adding an additional layer of like, now make it funny. So like, it's a, it's a second layer and, and, to, and the, the reverse just be like, to do drama is just sort of slopping the humor off of the top of, of comedy. Now granted, it's not all comedies. There's obviously various uh, genres within comedy, but the, the idea being that doing two things at once, making it believable and making it funny is a more difficult task, um, which I think as Libby's uh, Twitter rant uh, says, like Mythic Quest is doing in spades. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, but th the good news is, again, I, but before I cry, cry too, too far foul, if you look at the last, like, let's just say 10 years where I think there has been a much much more of a proliferation towards 30 minute dramas that whose intent really is to wrap you up in the drama and then kind of casually make you chuckle from time to time. Um, and look, I, I, I Libby brought up uh, the succession, which is both the best drama on TV and the best comedy. So like, I think they should win all the awards personally. Um, and I'm sure if you ask them, like, what are you intending to do? I think he'd probably tell you to fuck off. I'm making my show, which is great. And that's why that show is so fantastic. But I, I, I'll say that even in the last 10 years, as things are pushing in that direction, I think really when it comes down to it, the shows that are being singled out uh, still continue to be the funniest shows. I mean, it's undeniable that Shit's Creek is funny. And even if it's not your cup of tea, you recognize that they are trying to be funny, right? I mean, Sonny, for example, again, that's never been like, that's never been, I mean, it's been critically lauded for its entire run, but it never like, hit the mainstream Hollywood zeitgeist. S nevertheless, it might not be for you, and I totally understand why, it's clear that we're trying to be funny. Um, and it's been rewarded for that with the, the, the longest running tenure of, of any sitcom of all time. So there's still plenty of, of space for, you know, for shows like Veep, where that just like kept crushing every year after year, Modern Family. And those are shows that, that, were, that were obviously trying to make you laugh. And that, that that obviously makes makes us all feel pretty good. I just wish, I just wish that in a part of that same conversation, um, and movie movies specifically, that that people would would understand um, that that they just have an equal amount of value. That's all. Well, we all back you, man. Yeah. Now to ask a very now to ask a very stupid question. Yes. Uh, when I was at ClickHole, we tried to get a video game off the ground called PD's Pockets, where we just, you were a character who in this open world, who just had to walk around picking things up forever. 
Like there, there was, Jesus that was, Christ. that was the goal. And you just got, and, you, and your pockets got bigger and bigger and wider and they eventually left the screen. Uh, it was impossible to find an affordable video game company to help us make this. How is your relationship with Ubisoft and making all those interstitials and anything that's like game pertinent? It's great. I mean, they, they've, they've made it, they've, they've made it possible for us to make the show. I mean, we, we wanted to make sure that at the very least, the very least that it felt, it felt, um, authentic to the experience of being a game developer that we knew we couldn't get everything right. It's still, it's still a television series and it's a comedy. Um, but we wanted developers and people that worked in the industry. And then also by extension, just the people in the gaming community, uh, the gamers themselves, that it felt like, Oh, okay. I know what they're going for. This feels authentic to my experience. Is it exactly right? No, but they, they took the effort to make sure that they were uh, making it feel as accurate as possible. And that's, and that's where Ubisoft came in because we just talked to so many different uh, people and continue to do so uh, who are experts in their, in their fields. So we have, a, we have a great relationship with them. The jump in the interstitials from season one to season two was outstanding. What happened there? Well, uh, in the first season, this ha- you actually see a version of this happen quite a bit. Um, nobody wants to bet on your show in the beginning. They think it's going to be a failure or they think you're going to make fun of them, which actually is totally fair because <laughs> so many, di- so many different shows in the past about video games have basically derided the culture and which we obviously are not doing. And yet, so when we reached out to other gaming studios and said, Hey, would it be okay if we, um, used some of your, uh, interstitial gaming, um, clips, uh, as as pieces of the show, would would you would you let us do that? And it would be mutually beneficial. And we just got no 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 left and right. And Ubisoft was the, was one of the only ones that allowed us to do that. But then after the first season aired and people, it got such an overwhelmingly positive response, specifically in the gaming uh, industry. Then um, then people then everybody started calling back and saying, okay, we want to be a part of this. Like big, uh, big pimping now. I, I assume yes. that you're, you're getting a lot of feedback uh, on Derek, uh, uh, Derek Waters character, Phil. Like people are like, yeah, that's, that is my, that is my life. That is what I do. Yes. I mean, the truth is that, that, that there is a version of that relationship and that character and that uh, department in so many different industries. And ours, ours is one of them. Um, and that I'm very cognizant of, but I do see a lot of people that aren't. And I have to admit, I'm guilty of, of, of being a version of Ian in that situation um, because, you know, you're, the, ship, the ship is moving and it's moving fast and you have to just like, okay, let, like go, go to work, Phil, like work your magic and, and deliver. And I don't necessarily have time to get like granular in the details, but don't worry about it. We'll just fix it later. And you realize that you're putting people off on oftentimes onto a fool's errand but it's really difficult to navigate all of these things at the same time. And so I had a lot of people reach out to us <laughs> from the art departments of various studios and say, that feels exactly like my experience. And the other character is Sue. I mean, Sue's based on a real person um, and a real job. That, now she's probably the broadest character in the show besides David, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but, uh, but it's a real, that is a real job and, 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 the person I talked to was actually really dark. And we were like, that's gonna be sad. Um, this guy was like really dark because he's just dealing with the worst, the dregs of the internet of people just like hammering the community manager about what they hate. Nobody reaches out to the community manager to talk about how much they love the game. It's like a really toxic 
um, uh, one way communication. And so we thought that's gonna be too sad to present somebody like that. What if, what if we just went the opposite direction where she's, she's just like switched something off in her brain and can accept that level of toxicity and still manage to like be positive. We thought that'd be an interesting character to, to, to play with. I mean, I think the real brilliance there is the moments where it flips back on, like when uh, the group of little girl, girls in gaming come in and Sue's just like, no, mm-hmm. stay away. Like, <laughs> I, I, that, that touched me deep inside. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, but now I want to start a separate project, which is just emailing community managers and inter- major games and just be like you're doing a great job like yeah thanks for what you do um it would make their day because it would be the one email that they got i think for that day that would be super positive but you know i, I think it's kind of interesting and again this is not me um this is actually not, not me um complaining about super positive reviews um however it's fun. I, I bring this up because I, like you, Libby, like I love television. I love talking about it. I love watching it. I grew up, it's been a huge part of my life, my whole life. And I love spreading, not only spreading the word of what other great shows are out there, but I also love dissecting what it is that makes great shows. And then also why it is that people like something. I'm way more interested in that than why people dislike something. So like, if somebody like says, oh, Mythic Quest is a piece of shit, or, you know, and I hate it, I, I just disregard it uh, because that's, that's just an opinion. Um, I know it's not a piece of shit. I work on it and I, I, I know what a piece of shit is. And it might not be for them, but, it's, but I, I, it still has validity out in the world. Or if they say like, oh, I just hate Ian's character. I'm like, okay, fine. There's a million reasons as to why you might hate my character. And it's like less interesting to me. But when people like something but they like it for different reasons i find that interesting because it's constructive it's like oh right that gives me some guidance into the way that that the show is being viewed so for example ben could not have written a more glowing review of the show however backstory which by far and away is the best um reviewed episode by the fan base uh, he just like, he was like a meh for him. <laughs> and I just find that fascinating. Like, I, I, I'd be interesting to hear, and I don't know how you felt about it, Libby. I think you might've agreed with him, which is interesting. I, I'm, I'm interested to hear from your perspective, not only what it was about that episode that you, that you were met about versus what you love about the rest of the show. And then why do you think that is? And see, I'm the exact opposite of you. I am very, uh, I want to know what people dislike it is super triggering for me to dislike something that everyone else likes because i'm like what the fuck did i do i like i screwed it all up like i i don't know i don't know how to watch tv like i legitimately walked around for three days being like i don't know maybe i don't understand what's funny maybe i maybe i don't know how to watch tv uh i did not enjoy backstory and and there are plenty of little reasons One reason is when you're doing a 10 episode season and you commit two episodes to this character who is kind of very much been on the periphery um, in the first two seasons, that that's a fifth, that's a fifth of the show. And if I don't connect with that arc, which clearly was not a problem for most people, then I am, I am 
out that uh, that I'm out of the loop. And when we return in episode nine to sort of episode eight, when we return, I'm a little lost um, because it's been a while since we've seen those characters. And I'm, I'm guessing that's true of people who are watching on a weekly basis as well. Not to throw anyone under the bus here, but I think Leo said it best earlier today. He said something about CW's character um, and he drew a parallel to Creed Bratton from The Office. And he said, I don't want to see how Creed Bratton became Creed Bratton. I just want to luxuriate in his fucking weirdness. So I think that CW was, was a character that never really connected for me. And keep in mind, I'm married to a woman who loved the episode. She thought it was great. And so there have been many teary arguments on my part about it. Um, Harry or teary? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Asshole. Um, but I, I don't want to watch shows about men who are shitty and succeed and are shitty and like I don't in the past few years I've gotten very selective about the kinds of shows I ingest um I came really really late to Ted Lasso because I was like oh here's a fucking nice Kansaser to doesn't exist because fucking Trump and he's just gonna come in and everyone's gonna love him and it's gonna be great and it's just like another white guy saves the day all men on the cats i uh i'm a little jaded it's been a rough four years five years it's been a rough life um so it was it was giving over this show in which i adore the ensemble and the comedy and i lost it um i don't know i loved unlike Ben, the standalone in the first season, because it was one episode <laughs> and it, it, it filled out a backstory nebulously about the building. It wasn't uh, any of my main characters' pasts. So it was a fun adventure into, into sort of something that we never would have seen otherwise. I get having F. Marie Abraham, always love F. Marie Abraham, but CW wasn't really the person I wanted to know more about. He wasn't the guy that I wanted to delve into the backstory of. Like, how did Poppy end up in her job? Like, how did she, what was her path to this? Because it's still hard to be a woman in, in certain things. God, I've talked forever. Will someone else say something, please? I, I didn't know when to interrupt, Libby. <laughs> oh, God, I know. I just like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't like it. I just, I don't like disappointing people. Um, yeah, but so what I love about the show is the ensemble. What I love is the fact that they're all dorks, but there's so many different flavor of dorks. Like even an Ian is a dork, like with his uh, facial hair and his fancy cars, and uh, you know he's a dork for masculinity. Can I um, can I can I suggest that I'm not trying to be d defensive at all, but I no. because I I totally appreciate your answer. Um, and I'm not trying to talk you in, into it and in liking something you don't like, but can I suggest too that CW is also a dork and that what we're trying to do oftentimes with the show is, um, is to present something unexpected. And I think ultimately, I think, I think that's, I, I hope that's a strength of the show that yeah. 
we're not going to keep delivering the same thing week after week, even though we love the ensemble as well. And we love the, the traditional model of sitcom. I grew up watching it and love it. And I love The Office and I love workplace comedies, but I also love the idea of maybe playing with the form and suggesting that we had this character who I knew, we, and we talked about at great length, was probably the character that the least amount of people would want to empathize with and to understand where and how he got to where he got to. Because at the end of the day, we, it's, it's a fine line between presenting a case for why somebody is who they are and that razor thin line of justifying why he behaves the way he does. And so one, we hope fosters uh, empathy and compassion, which we would, we would suggest should transcend any, anyone and everyone. Everybody is deserving of that. However, where that line gets crossed is when you use the empathy and compassion to justify that anybody's behavior at any given time is uh, appropriate. And so that's where we're like, we were really careful with CW. So it's interesting that you say that the reasons you didn't, you didn't like it were almost the exact reasons why we made it. And so at the end of the, yeah. And so at the end of the day, that's, I think, I think, and I hope part of why Sunny, I think is successful and for as long as it has been because we have episodes that fans like straight up hate, like truly hate because we take a big swing. And I would venture to say that I think that the reason that the show works in a long term is that we take big swings and we piss people off sometimes, including the people that love us the most, because you, you just don't know what, you, what you're going to get. And, and I, I, I kind of like that about a, the way that we approach, you know, making, making the show. And I like the fact, um, not that you care about this at all, but I like that someone who loves the show doesn't like all of them, if that makes sense. No, I think it's kind of cool. I actually like it too, because it reminds me of all the things that I love about the show. It forces me to examine myself and the biases that I'm bringing it to it. It, it forces me to contemplate a, a, a series, which is I mean, honestly, there's obviously something I love to do. Like that's, that's, that's the whole thing. That's the whole job. So it upsets me because of my own personal issues, but, but yeah, I, I think, um, I don't think the show did anything wrong. I just didn't like it. Yeah. Um, because I rewatched it with Emily actually. And, and she, I, I tried, I, I watched it with an open mind and, and obviously it's gorgeous. Like, it's it's spectacular it's it's so finely wrought finely drawn it, it it is exactly what it wants to be i don't like it <laughs> yeah 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 boys how do you feel about it <laughs> uh i as a midwesterner am deeply uncomfortable with confrontation uh so oh, i think the fucking uh, worse. Libby absolutely did a, a great job illustrating my problems as well as what i wrote in the review which is hopefully enough um, but I think it's more important to key in on what you're saying in regards to identifying the things that you love about a show when something doesn't connect with you. Like one of the hardest things that I have when the hardest, the harder thing for me is explaining why a show is great as opposed to why a show doesn't work when I, it's, it's fairly easy to talk about why something doesn't work. And I think if you are only talking about one or the other, then you're not really doing anybody any favors. Like you need to try to engage 
with things on uh, their own terms, as well as, you know, try to add a perspective to it that other people may not have. And when I watched that episode, just like when I watched the one in season one, the, the, uh, the standalone of season one, I recognized in the moment, I was like, I think I'm going to be alone here. I think this is just going to be me out here, not fully loving this. And I just have to be okay with that. Um, so <laughs> I'll just okay sit here. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to be okay with it. I'm trying to get well it's it's interesting that you that you started by saying that you're uncomfortable with confrontation because are you do you consider this confrontation yeah oh yeah absolutely oh really 110 percent like anytime the midwest i i don't want to tell somebody who created something that the thing that they created i didn't like it or it doesn't work for me or you know in broad terms it's bad like i don't i never want to even say the words it's bad that just is is well, one, it's inaccurate. It's, it's, like it's, it's, yeah, it's inaccurate for this especially, but it's also doesn't do any service to anybody I'm talking to. Um, because the, the act of creating something and the act of putting something out there, especially as you talked about it, and as anyone who watches the show with any you know kind of thought can recognize, is that you're trying to do something different. Like you're trying to give us something unexpected, which is what I've always valued about Sunny, which is what I've always valued about you as a creator in general. So for me to not like the thing that's unexpected, which in and of itself, in a broad sense is what I appreciate, it's very difficult for me to wrap my head around and also to talk about with the person who did it, because I don't ever want you to stop doing it. I don't ever want that criticism to be like, hey, you know, check yourself. This isn't like you've gone outside of your lane. It's like, no, keep going, keep searching keep creating i uh keep swinging i yeah yeah i I I would say well first of all i i appreciate what you're saying i i don't take it as confrontation myself but maybe it's because a it's tempered by the fact that that if this was if this was maybe a more hostile conversation where you were I was talking to someone who was like, look, I just don't like any of this show. I don't, but then I would be like, I don't know why we're, why we're talking, (laughs) why we're talking about it. Right. So it's tempered by the fact that you're basically saying, I really love this show. And in fact, you both, I mean, everybody here has been so effusive about it um, that you're just saying, I don't like this one aspect of it. To me, that obviously makes it much easier to converse about. But beyond that, I'm, I guess I, a writer's room, you're spending all day long. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. Charlie Glenn and I just wrote, we just read a draft of, of an episode that I wrote for the new season yesterday. We threw out half of it, half of it. This is 15 years into this relationship. And they're like, look, Rob, I know you spent five hours doing this yesterday, but it's not good. It's not good enough. Right. And so I'm so used to these kinds of con- conversations um, that I don't take them personally. Um, because they're not coming from a, they're not coming from, um, there, of course it's, of course it's a personal conversation because it's personal taste at a certain point. It's not mathematics. You're saying, I'm basically saying, here's strawberry ice cream. Don't you like it? And you're like, I don't like strawberry ice cream. I'm like, yes, but let me explain to you why it's so good. And you're like, well, okay, I'll taste it. And I'm like, well, taste it. Right. Can't you taste what's so good about it? And you're like, yeah, but I don't like strawberry ice cream. What the fuck do you want from me? So I've, I guess I just learned to divest myself from my ego, my ideas and my creative output from my identity and my ego, because you'll just get crushed that way. doesn't mean I don't want people to love everything I do, but when you're starting from a place of, I know that Glenn and Charlie respect me. I know that they love me. I know that we're working together and that they just don't happen to love what I'm like this thing. That's okay. That's good. Like they didn't like the, the strawberry ice cream. I'll, I'll move on. 
I think, well, I, think... There, I think that there is another oh god who doesn't like strawberry ice cream Jesus Christ um I think there is another aspect of to this which um spooks uh red journalists on the outside um I said when I when I saw the episode I was like I don't know what I'm gonna do like I hated this episode and because you know Twitter always you gotta amp everything up everything is the best or worst but I was like I I didn't like this episode I I didn't like I didn't like what, what it was doing and and everyone else loves it and I I don't understand and someone responded to me with well that's all I need to hear uh I was gonna I was gonna check it out but now I won't and I was like fucking no I fucking love this show like it doesn't always have to be extreme said the woman who said she hated something a a tweet before but uh, there is that fear that when you put those things out there that it will get misconstrued and it will keep something from something you love which is the exact opposite of what we're trying to do here being critical in the in the in the traditional sense, um, in public is a is a vulnerable thing because there is a certain amount, there is a minuscule amount of power, and uh, you want to wield it responsibly, and you don't want to be wrong because uh, that's 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 embarrassing. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, but that is but that is your your job, right? I mean, and it's 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 similar it's similar insofar as you're put it's a creative output that you're putting out you're putting your opinion i mean my show is my opinion right like my when you're seeing something i'm presenting a story that uh, is coming through me and so of course i put a, a certain amount of my uh, of 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 my own value into my my ideas so it is vulnerable i i do understand that and in fact that is kind of ian's whole journey like this whole second season as we'll see in later episodes uh, it's a, it is him finally accepting that um, his his vulnerability is something he is not reconciled with for his forty three years on this planet, um, and that he finally does in this, and it it breaks him, you know. And so I think I'm personally in a constant state of of trying to reconcile that um, with my own personal relationships, with my show, and with my relationship to the world. And it's just that social media makes it very difficult. It makes it very difficult because like you said, you're just tweeting something. Who gives a shit? And it used to be, you would say that to your friend or your wife and be like, ah, I just, and then you'd go to bed and then it wouldn't have any real implications because you kind of meant it, kind of didn't mean it. You were just joking, but you were actually were pissed because we're messy and the world is messy and our mood is messy. And, you know, one day you feel like I hate something. And then the next day you're like, oh my God, I can't you're my wife. I love you more than anybody in the world. But last night I, I wanted a divorce. That's just the way we are. Like, you know, like we're just, we're doing our best, but now it's, it's on the public record forever. It's very rude oh. that you exposed the issues within my marriage, but uh, fine. I'll just have, Leo I was talking about my wife. Oh, <laughs> we both, wow. we, Libby, we both have wives. Boy, uh-huh. howdy. Well, on the on the flip side, just to try to wrap this around a little bit toward the positive, <laughs> I think I think that though that this result though that Libby tweeting what she tweeted 
starting a discussion and having a creator respond to it in the way that you have is kind of the ultimate goal for criticism. It's not that I want to, you know, write something and have a, a, a creator call me up or try to talk to me about it directly. It's that you hope that the conversation you're starting, whether it's with a review or with an interview or with a, a piece of, of analysis in any way, it's that it's, it's contributing to the conversation of people who want to make things better. Like the, the, negative connotation attached to the word criticism is that you're just trying to tear things down when in reality, I think we're all trying to build things up. I think we all just want things to be better. Like we just want everything to be either its best self or to keep pushing people toward creating the thing that is their best self. And it's so exciting to see, to see people respond to it like that, whether it's you or, you know, we've talked about Damon Lindelof in the past. Like that's the kind of stuff that like, that's the kind of people that I really enjoy hearing from whether it's directly or through their art. So uh, again, I think the, the tweets were probably a good thing in the long run. I agree. I mean, I'm, I'm also, I'm very much interested in engaging, in engaging these kinds of conversations specifically with journalists because, um, because you are powerful, even though Libby said we have a, you have a little bit of power, you have a tremendous amount of power because you know, when things, especially now more than, more than ever in the history of our business, because right now is the greatest time to be in the entertainment content business in so many ways, because there's so many opportunities. There's so many channels, there's so many streaming platforms um, and there's so much more money and people are now, people who have traditionally not had the uh, ability to have their voice amplified now have that. Uh, the, the only problem with that is that there is so much content out there that everybody feels overwhelmed by it. And so where do we look to have uh, all of that content curated? We look to you. So we're looking to people like you, people whose opinions we trust. And when you do see something um, on Twitter or you read a great review or you hear somebody who you respect on a podcast or on a radio or whatever, suggesting that some of the, this show is worthy of your time, when there are a million other shows out there, um, that is a really powerful tool that you have. And so I think from our perspective, the only thing that we, we hope as creators, of course we want you to like our shit. That, of course we do, but we can't expect that. The only thing that we, that we hope and expect is that you're holding yourselves to the same standard that you're expecting us to hold ourselves to, which is I'm going to go into this and give this my best shot. I'm going to give my best self to this. I'm going to recognize when I don't like something because I had a bad day or because I got cut off in traffic or because, and I know that, you know, that people do that. They do that. Just like people on our side do that as well, but we're doing our best to make sure that we're really doing our, our, our best work to try to be as objective as we can in such a subjective um, just by nature, uh, a position that we're all in. And it's clear that you guys are, are doing that. And I'm not just saying that because you happen to love, love the show. I think it's the specificity of listening to the way you talk about it, that it's clear that you're doing the work to try to understand what we're, what we're going for, right? And that's awesome. When you can read an article and be like, this is cool because, and sometimes the articles aren't even like, positive it's more just like oh i see what they were going for here and you're like thank you thank you for putting in the effort to like try to understand whether you liked it or not to, that, to try to see what we're trying to do as opposed to eh, i didn't like his face <laughs> or eh, it didn't make me laugh or eh, 
I don't like that guy or I don't like that woman. So I think I, I, I appreciate that. Uh, as someone who once worked somewhere where the rate of attrition on uh, headline submissions was 99%, I found none of this confrontational. This was, but I, I mean, but I could sense, I could sense Ben, I could sense yeah. Ben and Libby's uncomfort the entire time. I, I would, I would, to be clear, say that, and I think Rob, we talked about this last time we talked. Like, you have a very healthy disposition toward all of this, and I lack that healthy disposition. I just need to get where you are. So I guess just throw me in. Like, I'll, I'll create a little writers' room with my friends and try to get feedback that way and uh, see what I can do. I yeah, tell no, you, it's, you it's suck good. It's all good the time. Thing. Libby does tell you you suck all That's the true. time. Ben. She's helping. She's helping. Um, I, I will say this though, Rob, this podcast is never going to end, but not all creators are like you. Not, not all want that healthy engagement. And we get a little gun shy. My very first thing, my very first TV piece that I, my second TV piece that I published, um, the creator of the show, who was by all means, a really good guy wanted my email address so he could email me. And I was just this baby writer and uh he just he he was fine but he was very it scarred me a little bit uh because there are those creators that are like fuck you you're a critic like you're just here to tear us down you're you know you don't understand and to a certain extent there are those critics out there that do that there are those that are are not there to try and make tv great again or whatever but um it's not everyone is as willing to be vulnerable as you are um, on both sides of the aisle. So it's a testament to the work you're doing on yourself or on your shows that you're able to converse like this in, in a dialogue and, and God, it's fun. Like, like it's, I want to talk to every TV creator like this because I love TV and, and yeah. I love people who make it and, and God, isn't, isn't it a good time? I agree. I, it's super fun. I'm happy to, to to talk anytime. Hopefully, we can all do it in person at some point soon over the next over the next year. But yeah, I mean, I I, I recognize and and I'll, and I'll let you go. I I recognize that sometimes it is a difficult position for you all to be in because if you start developing personal relationships or at least friendships, because I'm friends with a lot of writers and critics, and and it becomes dicey because the, it, it comes up where. All of a sudden, you're like, Libby, oh, I really like Rob. And, oh, we're friends. And maybe we text every once in a while. But then he did, made something I didn't like. What am I supposed to do? And that's dicey. I, I recognize that. And so, again, I can only speak for myself. I can't speak for anybody else. Um, I, I, it's not something I was necessarily born with. It's something that I've had to be forced into in, in, in the learning process and to be... Uh, consistently uh, reminded of my ego getting in the way of my progression as a as a better person and so any opportunity I can get to divest myself from that I'll take so sometimes and very often it's in the context of these conversations so I'm happy to have it whenever you want you know how to find it thank you so much, thank you so much thank for, you for spending coming. time with yeah. us Rob and you don't let us go we let you go Okay. Uh, I mean, I think the important lesson to take away here is my tweets are great and everyone should follow me on the Twitter.com. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, you know, you got me. <laughs> All right. Thank you, All sir. Right. Thank you. Good luck so much, the rewrite. Thank you so much.
You shouldn't let poets lie to you. Ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool podcast. <laughs>